Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2004, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee-Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. Welcome to this episode of From the Runway Up. We are going to be talking about something that impacts us all, weather. And at an airport, we actually call it inclement weather because it leads to irregular operations for our facility. So today, we're going to be joined by two experts from TYS who can talk to us all day long about weather. But before we get to our guests today, we want to make sure that you subscribe to our podcast, check us out on From the Runway Up, or just visit our social media pages. We'd love to hear from you because we know you too are impacted by weather, and hopefully you'll enjoy some of the things we post about this episode. So first, if you all will start just by stating your name and your title and how long you've been at the airport. My name is Michael Porter. I am an operations specialist, and I've been at the airport for just over five years. I am Travis Gardner, and I have been employed by the airport around about 30 years. I started as a temp for the airport authority, kind of a contract employee in 1990. Wow. Mm. So we've got some experience here in inclement weather. So appropriate for our topic today. I've had a bunch of different jobs. Maybe I'm not good enough at any one thing, so they keep having to find a new job for me. But I'm the uh, vice president of airport operations. You do a lot, but one of the little things that you are responsible for is inclement weather. That's right. So what in the world is inclement weather? Well, I'll start out by saying there is a 100% chance of weather at McGee-Tyson Airport. (laughs) I think we've had some discussions on previous podcasts that airports are part of a system, an overall system of aviation and air transportation in the United States. And it takes coping with adverse situations and conditions, resiliency to make that system of transportation work. And one of those impacts to aviation is the weather. We have equipment and techniques and operational procedures that let us cope with the goal of being able to operate no matter what the weather is, but operate safely and securely. So we have unusual, you know, perhaps by the layman's measure, resources available to us to make sure that we stay operating in any weather safely. And that's universal. Most airports have a standardized approach depending on what type of weather they're getting, right? So it's not just McGee-Tyson, but it's McGee-Tyson because of the type of weather we get here. That's correct. If you change, you know, if you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. I hate to use that cliche, but every airport is different and the circumstances at an airport for the weather are different. So if you go, you know, we're just below the snow belt. It's not a normal thing for us to cope with routine day after day winter weather operations. It doesn't mean that we can't do it. It just means we have a different set of resources to cope with it because of the frequency. But we get inclement weather like that, mostly ice, which could be more dangerous. 
dangerous than just northern airports where you think about all oh, they get a foot of snow and within two hours they're dug out and ready to go. Ice is something that we experience a whole lot at our airport. That's correct. Honestly, I use the analogy of slush. You know, here we're some mix between urban and rural population. A lot of folks live in a subdivision. They roll out of bed in the morning. They need to go to work. Uh, little Johnny, little Susie need to go to school. And they look out and the weather looks, you know, it, it's snowy and there's some snow in the grass and the pavement looks fine. There's some slush and you, you might get your shoes wet and that's about it. However, keep in mind a driveway, driveways eight or 10 feet wide. Your public roadway, you might have a lane that's about 12 feet wide or maybe 30 feet total for a, a public road. And slush is not a big deal. Cars start to drive on it. It displaces the slush. It's crunchy a little bit. It's wet. And that's about it. Well, a runway is 150 feet wide. And if we have slush conditions Honestly, anything over about a quarter of an inch, we're swinging into motions to do something about it because any contaminant on the runway, contaminant's a fancy word for anything that ain't supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that can be water, it can be slush, ice, snow, dead grass from mowing operations, de icing agents from de icing the runway, or perhaps even in some of the aircraft parking and marshalling areas, that contaminant is aircraft de icing fluid. Anything that interferes with the proper operation of the aircraft. So we swing into action. And so I'll use that example. If we have a half inch of slush on the runway, we close. Aircraft are great at flying through the air, but they are a design compromise. They are less adapt at driving around on pavement than your average, you know, your Toyota Camry or a Honda Accord. They're much more suited to driving around and coping on the ground with a half inch of slush than an aircraft is. So we may plow the slush off. Well, I'm about, on a bragging day, I'm about five and a half feet tall. So you take a half inch of slush or a half inch of snow, you start plowing that off. By the time you remove it from 150 feet wide by 9,000 feet long, you've got a Trevor size <laughs> pile of snow beside the runway. We mitigate it by great big snow blower and we blow it off into the infield areas to make sure we're keeping the runway and that aircraft operating environment safe. And that's just, you know, snow is the worst example. It could be some sleet and some slush, any other thing. Because of where we're geographically located at McGee Tyson Airport, we get a lot of diversion airplanes because of inclement weather at other facilities. It doesn't have to be snow. It can be rain or thunderstorms. So, Michael, what kind of involvement does our airport have when other airports in our region are having problems with inclement weather? The airport environment is kind of like an interconnected organism. So if we're getting diversions like Charlotte not too long ago because of rain, and diversions are when the aircraft is actually not supposed to land at yes. Mickey Tyson Airport, but it does. It gets diverted to an airport because of some kind of yeah. problem at their their arrival airport. Yeah, they can't get into their original airport. No, they have to put them somewhere because aircraft, despite what you see on the movies, can't fly forever. Because, <laughs> what? You know, they're like a car. They run on gas. Yeah. So they have to go somewhere. And they'll divert to the closest airport. Us being in the southeast, we're the closest airport for like Charlotte, Atlanta, and a bunch of other little feeder airports. Not just something like a snow event. It could be storms in Atlanta that are pushing the aircraft this way. So they'll come in and we have to find somewhere to put them. And so what do we do? Once they land and they're here, sometimes they just ride it out for a few minutes, but they could be here for an extended amount of time. What does our operations department do to help accommodate those people who are diverted to our airport? 
So the most important thing is finding somewhere to put them in the first place. We only have so much ramp space. You know, we have aircraft that are based here. So if we have diversions coming in, we have to prioritize who's going to go where. The ramp is our aircraft parking lot. We use a fair bit of uh, industry lingo. So. <laughs> yes, we do. For the listener, uh, an aircraft ramp, it's a great big flat place. Yeah. It's yeah. a parking lot for airplanes. So we have to find space on our ramp slash parking yes. lot for these people <laughs> who actually get devoted to us. And that's basically all it is, big parking lot for aircraft. So we just have to find spots for other people who normally wouldn't be here. And so that's usually what operations does and anything else that comes along with that, like dealing with the passengers because... They could be here for 10 minutes. They could be here for three hours. We want to keep it to a minimum. You want to get people to where they're going. It's uncomfortable being on an aircraft for more than an hour because all of us are travelers. Sitting on an airport with the engines running, you're kind of wondering what's going on. People get fidgety and they want answers to their questions. Well, that's understandable, but it's safety first, right? Yes. And the reason they're there is because it's not safe to go to the airport that they're trying to get to. I appreciate the thought of the passengers, too, putting that in there and, and realizing that they have a level of comfort or uncomfortableness because of the situation. So we have to think about a lot of things, not just the aircraft, but also the people involved. Well, and one thing that I think is really interesting, and it doesn't happen often, but we get those diversions from Atlanta that are international flights. And that poses just a whole other slew of challenges that you get to, to deal with. The first one would be the size of the aircraft. Like that's what they call mainline aircraft, the wide body. We don't usually handle those. So again, we have to find somewhere to put them. And then if we are going to deplane people, which means taking people off the aircraft, maybe getting them into the terminal. We have to figure out a way to do that. You get the TSA involved and customs. And because, like you just said, it's an international flight, we don't know where they originated from. So we have to find that out, where they're going. And security and safety plays a lot into it. So we want to help people out and get them out of here and get to where they're going. We have to abide by a certain set of rules also. So luckily it doesn't happen that often. No. But no, I, I think it's cool <laughs> when you see an Air France plane out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It swings it. into a whole set of – this happens often enough. That there's an industry term for it. It's called IROPS, or Irregular Operations. And when those do happen, we have a set of protocols to follow to make sure that the aircraft and that operation is safe. We have to make sure it's secure. And then we begin to deliver services to the passengers that are on that aircraft, whether it's concession uh, catering operations or refueling or potable water or lavatory service. There's a, an entire team uh, that swings into action to provide those services to those IROPS aircraft. Good. So more lingo. I love more it. More lingo. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Hurricane Dorian and how that impacted our operations here at McGee Tyson. While Luckily, we didn't see the weather impacts necessarily, but we saw some aircraft that we don't typically see on our parking lot. We actually split into two teams. We have our standard airport operations divisions, and I separated myself from that team. And they, they've got the playbook. They're equipped to make decisions, run protocols, do procedures, and take care of McGee-Tyson Airport. You know, we're centrally located in the southeast. We have military contract fuel, and we have lots of hotels and lodging and food service options, and we got places to park airplanes. So we're very popular for, you ready for it? Another industry acronym is HURAVAC, and that's Hurricane Evacuation Aircraft. So Mike and the rest of their field operations team prepared to receive all manner aircraft, and I'll let him talk about that. And then I pull myself off the team, and I join basically a cooperative organization with other airports in the southeast. They handle internal operations, and I handle external operations. And I'll let Mike 
tell you more about what we did to be a good neighbor and support the rest of the Southeast with HERVAC operations. So as we were prepared for Hurricane Dorian, we had all kinds of aircraft inbound. We had a lot of military aircraft come in. It's what we call dissimilar aircraft. We used to handling mostly passenger aircraft. We had fighter aircraft, like the ones you see on Top Gun. Then uh, helicopters yeah. come in. Uh, we had a couple of cargo planes come in, C-130s. And they're all basically trying to escape the path of Dorian. Because you never know what hurricanes are going to do. They say, hey, they're going to swing this way, they're going to swing that way. But the military has an abundance of caution. And they want to get their aircraft, which are expensive assets. <laughs> and they're tied to national defense out of the path of the hurricane. Well, and it's not always just military, too. Some of the airlines that work here or service our community through McGee Tyson Airport also want to get their aircraft out of harm's way. Yes. So it could be commercial aircraft as well. We have not seen a lot of commercial aircraft. They have agreements with other airports that might be closer to them. So no, like you said, we'd work with them also, but we've seen a lot of military uh, here with Dorian's situation. So we thought Allegiant might have a lot of aircraft coming this way, but they diverted to another airport, so they're safe somewhere else. What if Allegiant would have brought all of their Airbuses to us as well? Would we have had enough space, or we would have had to tell people that they need to go to the next airport, or how does that work? That's a good question. So we have a plan. The plan's pretty flexible. We have a variety of pre-planned parking spaces, and then we, we can be creative if we consume all those spaces up with Huravac aircraft. For instance, we're currently undergoing some construction. We are rebuilding one of our two runways. So one runway, all of the pieces and parts surrounding it aren't complete. So the runway, there's pavement there, and it's open and safe and clean. It just doesn't have all the connecting taxiways built yet. So it provided us a great big parking spot. So we probably have had 25, 30 aircraft, something on that order, parked on the closed runway. So we used it as an extra parking space during Hurricane Dorian. That'd be cool to fly in and be like, oh, those are some nice looking helicopters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lined up in a row like a parking lot. It's very fortuitous, like you said, having that space because it kind of puts them in their own little space. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say keeps them out of our hair, but they kind of go over there, do their own thing. They call us. If they need anything, we'll go out in the system. And it allows the commercial airlines to function a little more normally. Well, and Travis, you mentioned that Mike and his group of fellow employees work on the ground here at McGee Tyson. But at the same time, you're working on the system as a whole in aviation. And you do that, I think, through an organization called Sea Dog. So would you mind telling us a little bit about that organization? Sure. Again, we're big on acronyms. Sea Dog, that's Southeastern Airport Disaster Operations group. And basically, we're a co-op of many, many participating airports in the Southeast. We've got about 700 participating members, and we have a coordination cell or a leadership group, and we agree by season who's going to be primary and who will be the alternate. So for this hurricane season, Savannah, Georgia, um, the fine folks down there at Savannah Hilton Head agreed to be the lead agency or lead airport to represent the interest of all the airports uh, in the southeast to the federal agencies and the industry groups. Well, as Hurricane uh, Dorian began to take shape late last week, Thursday into Friday, guess 
what location was in the path of the hurricane? Savannah, Savannah. Georgia. So uh, as we began our planning activities, Savannah asked if we would step in as the alternate and take over the primary role. So basically, since Saturday morning prior to the hurricane arrival, myself and a few other members became the coordinating cell for all the airports in the southeast. The coordinating airport takes on the leadership role to communicate with all the federal agencies. We monitor the weather and act as a liaison to the National Weather Service and the National Hurricane Center. So we publish very airport-centric, aviation-centric weather forecasts that assist our airport operators, sometimes every four hours, which can be pretty laborious for a four or five page report and a bunch of summaries. We track the opening and closing of airports in the southeast. That's of particular interest as the FAA, working for the Federal Department of Transportation, needs insight into air transportation and how it's affecting the economy, how it's affecting the welfare of all the residents in the southeast region, business and industry. So it it has far-reaching impacts to the nation, uh, specifically the southeastern region. We act as a liaison to the state DOTs and their aviation departments, Florida DOT, Georgia DOT. There's a branch inside the FAA, the airport division. And so they provide status updates to us about how the FAA facilities for air traffic control and navigation are affected. We publish that and support our airports because you may have a situation where an airport can be open, but there's no air traffic or navigation services available in that area. We act as a representative for the airports to FEMA as they monitor conditions and plan recovery efforts, as well as there's a lot of national trade groups that support the airports, including AAAE, that's the American Association of Airport Executives, as well as ACI, Airports Councils International. They act as a liaison for airports worldwide, so we are their voice to them. And then our airline partners. Airlines need airports and airports need airlines, so we have a constant dialogue with A4A, again, our acronym, that's Airlines for America. And we even have on the West Coast, we have a counterpart. We're Sea Dog, and they are West Dog. And again, it's a cooperative organization of all the member airports to cope with either man-made or natural disasters. Sometimes those man-made disasters are petroleum pipeline interruptions that affect the transmission of aviation fuels. A few years ago, Sea Dog was involved with a widespread internet outage that was affecting air traffic control and airline communications in the southeast. So it can be really any vector, any input, any circumstance that affects the viability of the system that I talked about, which is the system of airports. Well, and the first role is to be that voice, that communications person to coordinate that during the immediate situation. But now I know that you are also working with through this group to provide humanitarian and expert relief to the airports that have been impacted by the hurricane. How does that work? Yeah, so we provide matching services. So there's airports that need resources. That resource might be a navigational aid, an airport firefighter. It might be a physical piece of equipment like a generator. It might be a telephone switchboard. So they have needs to recover and begin flight operation again. And then you have other airports that may have those resources that they can commit. And we match those two needs together, the need with the resource. We basically state that case, describe it. The FAA monitors that arrangement between the two. They certify the need to FEMA. FEMA issues through their EMAC process, which is like a contract where if 
you have a responding airport that commits people or equipment, they become a federalized mission. And so they represent the interest of FEMA to engage in those recovery operations. And that's what's happening today. In fact, for me, it's going to happen in about 10 minutes. We'll have a nationwide teleconference with airports that are beginning to assess and inventory their resources to commit to any airport in the southeast. Or perhaps right now the dialogue is evolving for the Bahamian response operations. And of course, the State Department and national agencies are involved in that coordination. And we will keep the dialogue open. Yeah, it's really cool how all airports figure out each other's backs. Yeah, you know? we really do. And we have to. Yeah. Because no one airport is equipped to cope with all the circumstances that, that can occur. So we're very, you know, I, I use this analogy. Nobody, with a very few exception, drives to an airport, gets on an airplane, flies around for a little while, and comes back to the same airport. Yes, there's exceptions to that, like crop dusting and sightseeing operations or flight instruction, maybe aerial survey work. But for the most part, everybody that's using an airport, they're using it to get somewhere. To another airport. Yeah. So it doesn't do you any good for you to be the only airport open if all the other airports are closed. So Helping um, them stay open is that, That's exactly right. So we depend on each other to be open, and it makes this system of airports for transportation resilient and reliable. Well, and that's important to our listeners who are in East Tennessee, too, because they'll do that reciprocal effort for us. That's right. If something should happen here, there are redundancies and backups with other airports to help us get up and operating after something might happen here. Again, knock on wood. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> One of the best examples of that, our nation's airports are so busy. For instance, our two closest hub airports, Charlotte and Atlanta. The timing of arrivals and departure are down to a split second. They can only handle so many aircraft. Well, if you have a thunderstorm blow through or rainstorm, any little hiccup, immediately it causes delays. Those airplanes have to go somewhere. Sometimes it's McGee Tyson Airport and we're able to provide the rest area for them. If the interstate that we call airport systems is backed up, we're the rest area. They can pull over here, take a break, wait till the traffic jam clears up, and then fly into their hub airport. Dominoes. That's yeah. the word Dominoes. I always use. That's a perfect yeah. description, Mike. <laughs> it's like a big domino game. If something happens at one airport, the rest of the system is going to feel it eventually. And we see that with our topic today, inclement weather, in a lot of areas. We get automatically uh, start to see delays and cancellations in our market. If there is inclement weather in New York or in Chicago, it doesn't have to be right here in Tennessee or a surrounding airport. It could be anywhere in the system. So we've talked a lot about snow, sludge thunderstorms, hurricanes. You all mentioned that you've worked at the airport for just a little while now. What are your like most interesting stories? Whenever you think of inclement weather, when you think of something, IROPS or whatever, what comes to mind of something that you'll never forget that happened at Mickey Tyson Airport? Okay, so in the wintertime, we have to monitor the pavement conditions. And it really doesn't matter what's on the runway, what's on the taxiway. The proof's in the pudding. We have this meter, and it goes in a vehicle, and it gives us an indication of the aircraft's ability to either stop or turn or brake and control their movements on the ground. It's called a friction meter. So if the, the pavement is clean enough uh, and there's no ice, there's no rain, there's no snow, you got good friction. And as it degrades, you have to monitor that and say, time out, no aircraft movement, and we'll do something. We might broom, plow 
de-icer. We have a variety of different techniques depending on what the situation is. So we're measuring it. Very early on in my career, I was on the airfield assessment team. And basically for long periods of time, hours and hours, we'd drive around and you drive to a, we got a certified speedometer. You drive how many miles an hour, Mike? I'm not even going to answer that question. It's <laughs> <laughs> a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> trick question. <laughs> 25 or 30? 30. 30, thank you. (laughs) 30 miles an hour. Yeah, you got me. Uh, 30 miles an hour, and you slam on the brakes. And then you read this meter to see what was the friction reading. Well, we had changed out crews, and I'd taken a rest, and somebody else had done it in another vehicle. And my vehicle had been sitting in probably near zero temperatures. And I had some apples in the back of the car. And I, I came on duty, and I'm out there doing a runway check, and conditions had drastically improved. It was basically dry pavement. And I slam on the brakes and immediately was assaulted. <laughs> My apples had frozen, and I oh, got no. hit in the back of the head with a frozen apple, <laughs> and it nearly knocked me out. I was seeing stars. I couldn't tell where I was at. So kids listening at home. Be careful of frozen apples in the back of your car. So the friction was... The friction was, was great. Yeah. And the, knot on, the knot on the back of my head was horrific. Yeah. You still remember it. And I still remember it. What about you, Porter? I don't have 30 years of experience, so that's going to be hard to top. Frozen apples, hard yeah. to top. Well, I'd say probably uh, it was an IROP situation. I think we had a bunch of diversions. Um I think it was, what was it, a Spirit Airlines? Do you remember that Yeah, it one? was. It was an Airbus. Yeah. So we had a bunch of those here. I can't remember exactly what the situation was. I think it was uh, it was rainstorms pushing up from Atlanta. But we ended up having to park aircraft on taxiways on the apron. We had so many people here that me and Travis ended up parking aircraft on, what was it, Romeo 2, Romeo 3? Everywhere. Yeah, they were everywhere. The captain on one of the airplanes, I was trying to marshal and park. You know, that's the guy out there with the hand signals. And he said, I, I lost sight of you. And I said, well, I, th- I realized I was in the wrong spot. I was too close to the airplane. But I apologize. Last time I marshaled an airplane was like 20 years ago. And it was an F-16 fighter. And they're a lot shorter. <laughs> and I'm a lot shorter. So yeah, that was a busy day. It was yeah. a busy day. Yeah. yeah. I think my memory the most, that because public relations, we have to deal with the people that are involved more than the aircraft on the other side is when we did have an Air France land, gosh, it's probably 10 years ago now. And because we don't have customs here at our facility, they can't actually come into U.S. soil at our airport. They had been out there and there had been smoke in the cockpit or in the underbelly. So we needed to be able to get the people off of the aircraft safely. So a part of our airport actually became part of France and it was quarantined off and we were able to bring them into the airport long enough to assess the aircraft, make sure it was safe and get them back on to that. But just the fact that part of our building became Good part France. of France for a little while was pretty interesting. Hey, along that note, I've got an interesting tidbit I think our listeners will find interesting. You know, we've talked about all these people that are trained and we got procedures and we got equipment and systems to do all this stuff. But probably when we talk about IROPs, one of the most valuable items in our toolkit, one of them that's in my toolkit anyway right now of resources, is from the Dollar General Store. And it was a dollar. And it's a whiteboard that's about five by eight inches. 
and a, a dry erase marker. And when you're having a bad day and there's airplanes everywhere, one of the most difficult things is to talk with the air crew, whoever is pilot and co-pilot of that airplane. And the reason I use that little whiteboard, it's in my car all the time, is I can pull it out and I can write my cell phone number on it and stand up close enough to the airplane and hold it up over my head and the pilot can see my cell phone number and he can call me and we can figure out what to do. And huh. I, I know the listeners might be amazed to hear that, but the communication systems on airplanes and air traffic control and all the radios and all the GPS and all the avionics, all that technology, sometimes just the simplest thing to do is get out that one dollar whiteboard off the clearance rack and hold it up and give the captain of that airplane your cell phone number so you can talk and figure out how to give them some help. So you're saying that it's not as clear as our podcast (laughs) (laughs) equipment? No, that's not what I said. Wow. You are welcome, (laughs) listeners. Analog. That's the way to go. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your stories with us today and allowing us to learn even more about what this airport does during inclement weather and IROPS operation. Hopefully the that is part of the repertoire of the people who are listening to our podcast now and they're picking up on some of the operational lingo here at the airport because they listen to today's podcast. Absolutely. And if they didn't learn anything, they learned at least eight acronyms. So that's <laughs> so good. Thank- Mission complete. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you, you all for so joining much. us. Thanks for having us. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of From the Runway Up. We hope that we gave you some behind-the-scenes access to what goes on at airports across the United States and here at McGee Tyson Airport. More importantly, show us that love and give us some ratings and reviews and let us know what you would like for us to dive into in the future. And also make sure you subscribe so that you know when our next episodes will be coming out because we have some great things planned for this next year. 